Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we've got a bonus episode as we review the year 2023 and count down the top 10 stories in wrestling from the year. Kyush, what kind of year has it been? Strangely, I think that you would have to call this one of the best years through all the tumultuousness and all the sadness and all of the weirdness. I think that you would have to call this like the first true year of a boom period that we've seen since we were kids, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the most interested I've been in wrestling in probably 20 years. Like, you'd have to go back to like 2002 or 2001 for the last time I was this engaged in a number of different promotions over the course of a year. Like, let's just be clear. Like, the fact that we started covering modern wrestling during the course of our weekly podcast is a thing that we swore that we'd never do. And this year has just been too interesting, too good, too very, too special for us to be able to keep saying that. Like, it's just, it, we needed to talk about it. There's just so much every week. Yeah, I mean, mostly one, a lot of really good stuff on screen, and then just a bunch of fascinating stories on the business side of things and behind the scenes. I mean, from the punk story, which throughout all of its incarnations might be the singular most interesting story in the history of professional wrestling, to... As we said, WWE entering a boom period and all of this wild shit happening to things that we've almost forgotten. Like, hey, Cody Rhodes didn't win at WrestleMania. Do you remember how mad you all were about that? Almost forgotten now. (laughs) So speaking of things we didn't remember, we're going to do a lightning round. And I think part of the question is, like, do you remember that this happened this year with a lot of these stories? As I was telling Steve before we started recording this, I honestly can't remember if things happened this year or 2022 or 2020. The pandemic has maybe forever ruined my sense of time. So I'm not going to say yes to a lot of these things. Cody Rhodes reportedly pushed for his match against Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam to be a dog collar match. Now... I remember that, but only because we referenced it on this podcast at least so 50 many times. times. <laughs> because that is the most Cody Rhodes thing imaginable. Imagine Brock Lesnar leaving a meeting with Cody and being like, ugh, I'm not doing that shit. And then he wanders out into the hallway and there's Triple H in the hallway being like, hey, big guy, uh, how about a dog collar <laughs> match like the Jim Crockett days? <laughs> CM Punk was pulled from the announcement of AEW Collision at the last minute because he found out they weren't bringing a steal back. I don't think I even knew that. Yeah. Like when they announced it, like they did like the network up fronts or whatever. Punk wasn't part of any of the marketing materials and he was supposed to be. And it was 100 percent pulled at the last minute because they had a blow up. And I think it turned out it was about a steal not being allowed to come back to TV. The idea that CM Punk will not only have gotten himself fired for being unprofessional in the AEW, but might take this company down in a number of ways, from weakening their position with Warner Brothers to helping potentially WWE get a deal with Warner Brothers to replace them, all out of spite, is like we haven't even maybe hit the juiciest part of the CM Punk story. 
Another CM Punk one. CM Punk decreed that since Ace Steel wasn't allowed to come to come to TV, Christopher Daniels wouldn't be allowed to come to Collision, and Tony Khan agreed to this. I also don't think that I knew that, to be totally honest <laughs> with you. Christopher Daniels, who's the head of talent relations for AEW, was not allowed to be at Collision because you know CM Punk's gopher. Ace Steel wasn't allowed to be there. As a reminder, Ace Steel hit Nick Jackson with a chair during the fight at all. And out. knocked him unconscious and then <laughs> took a bite out of Kenny Omega. Yeah, was 100% rightfully fired for cause. Probably should have been sued. Could have had criminal charges pressed against him. Let's also say this. Like, I think Christopher Daniels stepped down or was fired from being the head of talent relations, though he still has some kind of office job there. But, like, that was really the moment where it was clear that Collision was just going to be CM Punk's show. Yeah. Like, I do wonder if he had some sort of creative say, was doing some of the booking, in much the same way that Danielson is now. Like, maybe we never got a chance to find out. John Cena didn't bother to tan for his match against Austin Theory at WrestleMania. <laughs> he also had his, like, basic John Cena muscles. You remember when, like, yeah. The Rock would come back and you'd be like, oh, that's actor Rock's body. He didn't actually train for this. <laughs> Dave Meltzer revealed on his message board that neither Punk nor John Moxley wanted to lose to the other back in 2022, and Punk got his lawyer, lawyer involved, saying AEW was trying to get him to wrestle before he was cleared. Again, is it even possible to come down on CM Punk's side on any of this shit, really? Because as I recall, part of that was Moxley only said he didn't want to lose to Punk when he found out Punk wasn't willing to lose to him. Yeah. Although they both ended up putting each other over, but it was that whole thing was such a compromise. Getting the lawyers involved because you don't want to do a job is the most Hulk Hogan thing I've ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) The Elite had a best-of-seven series against the Lucha Death Triangle that used the NBA on NBC theme. This is... I didn't love the, like, the first three matches or whatever of the best-of-seven series. And it was, like, match three or four where they started using the... Like, the round ball. Yeah. The single greatest music in the world. And it just made it clear to me that me and the Bucks have the exact same sensibility in every single way. I also want to wear Jordans every day and listen to Round Ball Rock. Go Jackson. AEW portrayed its four pillars as MJF, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Jack Perry. That statement aged like <sighs> milk the second yeah. it came out of their mouth. The four pillars are these four guys. In the same night, what somebody, I think, was it MJF or some shit like that, came out and said, like, actually, Britt Baker should probably be in the four. And everyone yeah. agreed. And even now, that even that has aged like milk. Who should be the four pillars oh, of God. AEW? MJF, obviously. Darby, it, yeah. It feels uh, like a joke that Hangman's not one of these four people. Yeah, no, Hangman is clearly one of, like, among their biggest homegrown stars. 
the company was built for MJF and Hangman Page. Yeah. Like, that's what this company is. At WrestleDream, AEW cut from Antonio Inoki's grandchildren honoring him to Christian Cage watching them in scowling. He saw some kids whose grandfather had died and was like, ugh, terrible dad. I can't, like, it is wild the places the Christian Cage character has gone this year. I just remember the beginnings of it and how tickled we were at the idea of, like, Christian Cage wanting to bang everybody's mom. And now here we have come full circle. He literally got Nick Wayne's mom to interfere in a match for him. Like, this is where we've come. Because he's so hot. Yes, because Turtleneck Christian, and maybe some of y'all aren't there out there aren't ready for this, is the hottest fucking man in AEW. CM Punk did the Kojima Lariat meme during his match against Kojima at Forbidden Door. Which is a reference to a, an <laughs> RF straight shooting, yeah. like shoot interview he did with Samoa Joe in 2005. Meltzer said he didn't like the Adam Page Swerve Strickland match and then gave it a five star rating because he says his ratings are objective and not subjective. Which has never been true, obviously, because he gives five stars to like ladder match. He, look, it's not true. But the idea of him giving five stars to I hated it at five stars. I love him for that. That's some A plus trolling. Shane McMahon blew out his quad at WrestleMania and Snoop Dogg perfectly jumped in to finish the match for him. I remember all of us the following few days, all of us realized like all together, like, wait, that wasn't what was planned. Snoop Dogg improvised that whole segment and it was amazing. (laughs) Yep. Poor Shane. Fuck. That might be the last time we ever see Shane on TV. Yeah, it, I mean, they'll probably do some, but it's just also Shane sold all of his stock years ago and missed out on hundreds of millions of dollars. That's true. But like, it's very possible that we've seen hopefully the last of Vince, maybe the last of Stephanie, if she and Triple H are really divorcing, as it seems like they are, and maybe the last of Shane. The McMahons might be done forever. <laughs> Tony Khan hit the Prince Nana dance after Grand Slam. Bless him for that. Look, I know that there's so many people on who are like, Tony Khan's a fucking mark, bro. Look, Tony Khan's living all of our dream. The dream of all of us who have played TW at home or like our own little fantasy booking and whatever. He's just rich, so he gets to actually do it. And bless him for that. I do not hate him for that. I would absolutely hit the Prince Prince Nana dance in public if given the if opportunity. If that was my company? Yeah. And something like the Prince Nana dance got went viral? You're goddamn right I'd be hitting the Prince Nana dance. Stan Lane denied being Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's father, but made sure to confirm that he did in fact have sex with her mother once upon a time. This is my favorite <laughs> news story of the entire year because I knew nothing about this until Steve told me before, like when this was going on and the mind blowing experience of learning that the possibility that yes. Lauren Barbert's father may have been Stan Lane, but then to find out that it was a Stan Lane impersonator. 
I don't think they know. I was so sure it was going to turn out it was the fake Stan Lane, but that's not it. That would have been the ultimate, like, perfect, like, tie all the threads together if it turned out her dad was the fake Stan Lane. This whole time she thought she was a rat for Stan Lane, but she was actually for fake Stan Lane. The fake Stan Lane is one of the greatest stories ever in pro wrestling. Just the idea that a man went around pretending to be him, and this is in the age before the internet. People didn't know what Stan Lane looked like. And, like, Stan, like, you know, they were in the South, and Stan Lane was a big enough deal that, like, women were impressed by that, knew who Stan Lane was, and were impressed by this. Being like, oh, so you're dating Stan Lane? Cool. That's like if you and me went to the bar, and we're just like, hey, uh, you know, we're uh, Dax and Cash from FTR. <laughs> like, you should bang us. And then it worked. <laughs> Netflix released a documentary on OVW. Did you ever watch this? No, because I don't like being depressed in my free time. <laughs> it was really good. I watched a couple of like minutes of it, and I watched some clips, and it is a bummer. When asked by Brian Alvarez what separates his energy drink from others, Ric Flair responded, mushroom-infused mushroom infused just those two words not even it's mushroom infused i want to be clear about this brian alvarez asking rick flair to answer that question (laughs) is some subversive journal (laughs) also rick flair had to have a line cut from his promo on rampage in which he invited all the single 18 to 29 year old girls to come to his room later. Big Show was body slammed on a car by Powerhouse Hobbs in the same match where Abushi rode a bicycle down to the ring. What a series of words you just said. And that might turn out to be the Big Show's last in-ring appearance in his entire career, is him getting thrown off a Jesus. ramp onto a fucking car hood, which is a bump no one that size should ever take. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in wrestling, seeing him take that bump at his age. Absolutely fucked. QT Marshall reportedly quit AEW because it was becoming too much like New Japan. This is the funniest fucking statement anyone has ever made in their entire life because A, nobody gives a shit what QT Marshall thinks. But B... It should, because the one thing, so if he quit because of the Continental Classic, guess what's the coolest, best thing they've done in years? Yes. Show us what you know, dickhead. Oh, man. Brian Alvarez attempted to explain how the YouTube TVR, TV DVR function works to an extremely confused Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer, who still uses a typewriter and has no <laughs> filing system other than the floor, uh, is not the ideal man to explain these things to. Oh, and finally, the hammer. WWE showed footage of the Auschwitz concentration camp during their promo for the Dom Ray match at WrestleMania. They did what? Oh, you didn't hear about this? No, I didn't hear about that. So, remember, you know, in the Ray-Dom feud, you know, Dom got taken to jail. They and showed one of the jails they showed footage of was Auschwitz? <laughs> Auschwitz! 
they just like found some stock footage of a prison yard and it turned out it was Auschwitz. So not only did Dom get thrown in prison. <laughs> yeah. Sweet Jesus, what? <laughs> now, here, this is on me, because I was 100% sure that the hammer was going to be NWA loses its broadcast deal with CW <laughs> because James Mitchell fake snorted coke on television. I left that off because it just seemed to, like there's of course you remember that that happened that happened like a month ago it's one of the, it's most the most funny to... bizarre things in wrestling history I will never forget that for the rest of my life <laughs> just I mean I'm sure he didn't actually snort cocaine I'm sure it was just like uh, baby powder whatever you can snort safely but like yeah, like 100%. This was portrayed as James Mitchell doing cocaine on their pay-per-view. I just love the idea that maybe they got some footage of James Mitchell doing cocaine and were like, uh, well, we only have so much footage. We got to use it somehow. Like, and I guess, like, the story is he's corrupting all the young wrestlers. So the, uh, the other young wrestlers were drinking and hanging out with hookers and doing cocaine in the box. That's actually fantastic. The fact that the idea that James Mitchell's going to take wrestling back to what it used to be, brother. Nothing back but the, the rats and the coke. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, we'll have some other stuff out. We left out, uh, what? Uh, which one of FT, the FTR guys got arrested for pulling a gun on somebody in a road? That race? was Cash. That was Cash That's who pulled cash. the block. What a stud. Um, Dax Harwood had a podcast that he quit because he was making too many people mad with it every single week. The FDR podcast, I've never seen a group or a person go from being like completely over with everyone in the wrestling community to being buried faster than that man one week into their podcast when every single opinion he has was the worst imaginable opinion. <laughs> He tried to act like CM Punk was a good dude because he bought everybody's Starbucks gift cards. FTR becoming stooges for Punk yeah. is one of the weirdest things that happened this year. Uh, also, in the defense of Punk after the Jack Perry incident, there was a reference to the fact that he bought Nando's for a bunch of his friends. You know what? That seems to be Punk's move because also, didn't he? he there was a, like... When Danhausen was out injured, he bought him like a bunch of cheeseburgers or something like yeah. that. <laughs> All these stories of CM Punk being a good like a good dude or him doing the absolute bare minimum. It's like he texted Adam Page when he had COVID to see if he was doing okay. Like it's like CM Punk wants to be a politician, but he just it's can't really figure out how to do the nice guy part. Yeah. He's really bad at being a real fighter. This is what I'm saying. You wouldn't have to buy Nando's for the locker room if you were like actual Hulk Hogan and could just glad hand everybody and yeah. be so charming about it. Did Hogan ever pick up a check in his entire career? Seriously, that Hogan had the other guys on the card being like, hey, man, we owe the big guy his dinner tonight because yeah. he's drawn for the rest of us. Big guy. <laughs> All right. Let's count down the top ten. We can just sit here and bullshit about random stupid things that happened this year for like two hours, I feel like. We sure could. But instead, let's count down the top ten stories of 2023, starting with New Japan's rebuild. Um, definitely a changing of the guard going on in New Japan. Um, 
Sonata is the IWGP champion. First time in many, many years um, we're going to have a, a Wrestle Kingdom main event that doesn't involve Okada or Tanahashi. I would definitely be stumped if I was asked to name what the last one was that didn't have either guy in it. I'm going to be totally honest with you. If you had asked me that, I would have been stumped until I looked it up to be able to tell you. So it's was been it 13 for, years. Was it something horrible? It was uh, Nakamura against fuck. I'm drawing a blank here. It may have been him versus Takiyama. I'm not 100% sure. All okay. I know is that it was Nakamura in the main event. Something back when he sucked. <laughs> yeah. It's been so long. That was back before Nakamura was even good. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we are building towards what are we building towards at Wrestle Kingdom this year? So there's a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, So among all of the passing of the guard things, we also have Will Ospreay leaving. We have maybe Okada leaving. That's still Uh, a big question mark. None of us really do, but that's still a big question mark. There's a so Okada is wrestling Brian Danielson at this show. Yep. Sonata versus Naito, obviously. Uh, we're doing, uh, they have a new championship, which is going to be their global championship, which they've described as everyone comes to Japan to fight the IWGP champion. The IWGP global champion leaves Japan to fight the rest of the world. Oh, that's a cool concept. So this will be, this will be yet another title belt we'll be seeing in AEW because they don't have have nearly enough of those. Yeah, but ostensibly this is their belt which will be interesting because it'll be a belt defended in both impact and aew and ring of honor and everywhere else too so uh this one is between david finley john moxley and will osprey huh i guess finley has to win that one well i think so unless moxley's gonna do like go wrestle in impact with this belt which who knows maybe he will that's a fascinating idea is to have an AEW wrestler hold a New Japan belt and then defend it everywhere else. What, uh, but Moxley's the guy if you're going to fix him, but, or Osprey. Really, any of them could win, but it's probably going to be Finley, to be realistic. Yeah. Well, we got Zack Sabre versus Tanahashi, too. Yep, we got Zack Sabre versus Tanahashi. That's a guaranteed banger. Um, we're not 100% sure what all the young guys are doing, except they're pretty obviously going to be fighting each other. Uh, Ren Narita just turned on Shota Umino when they were tagging together in the tag league. They're probably going to fight. Yoda Suji is probably wrestling uh, the guy who's part of just five guys now. Anyway, this is very much a transitional year for New Japan. Like They're pushing the shit out of these young guys. That doesn't mean that they're getting a bunch of wins, because none of them have really gotten a big marquee win yet. It's just that the focus has shifted like off of the Tanahashis of the world and onto this new generation of guys. Yeah, gonna be interesting call- to see. Yeah, they're calling Shoda, they're calling uh, Suji, uh, Shoda, and Rin Narita like the new Three Musketeers, which is what they called Shibata, Nakamura, yeah. and Tanahashi. And before that, Muda, Chono, and Hashimoto. Say, so, these are the new, new Three Musketeers. Yes, this big fucking shoes to fill, bro. If they don't yeah. draw, they're going to get buried. <sighs> yeah, I mean, big changes for a promotion that's had basically the same couple guys on top for almost a decade now. And they've really had Okada take a step back. Like, Okada's been doing six-man tags for the most part for most of the year or feuding with people outside the company. Like, this is the first year in a very long time where you don't feel his shadow over everything. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, whether or not he – I mean, I think potentially one of the biggest stories of next year is going to be whether or not he leaves in free agency. 
that would be without a question the biggest. He's without question the biggest free agent there could possibly be at this point, right? Like there's no one else out there. Even if someone from AW jumps well, ship to I WWE. Mean, allegedly MJF's kind I don't I my I kind of think MJF's actually re-signed with AEW. There's no way he hasn't. Or that would be such a big a bigger deal right now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh story number nine. The growth of NXT, um, I feel like against everybody's expectations, NXT has successfully completed uh, the rebuild that began with them being turned into NXT 2.0 at the beginning of last year. Um, They've become an actual developmental territory with actual developmental prospects instead of, you know, the finishing school for... 35 year old indie guys that they were before um and their tv viewership has grown to the point where they're actually going to be getting a rights fee with their new deal with the cw which is a big step up um sean michaels has i think pretty much blown away everyone's expectations as the man in charge here Considering when he first took over and they first rebranded this, we all buried it. Like, this thing looks like shit. It looks so small and bad. All of these people suck and they're so green. Who would even watch this? Like, I kind of ignored it for six months only to finally, like, have to pay attention to it because the ratings got so preposterously big. And, like, you would have to say it's not just because of the overall WWE boom. They're creating a new, fresh-feeling product with fresh stars here. And, like, people are buying into it in a big way. And, like, God, like, to take completely brand-new people and, like, get so many of them over at the same time the way that he is, by the this time next year, he might have 20 people ready for the main roster. Like, we might be ready for, like, a whole new brand. We might be ready for, like a gigantic invasion because like we have a lot of people who aren't quite ready and, but they're all going to be ready at around the same time. I don't even know what you do with that. Give them time. I'm pretty desperate for Braun Breaker to come up to the main roster at this point. He and Carmelo, I like could just come up any fucking time. Like it's 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 kind of insane that they're both still down there. The fascinating thing that they've done though, is like in the beginning, these people were all green terrible matches, whatever. And they kind of just left them to like develop together. And then as they got further along, they started like dropping main roster guys down for them to work with like one by one. So they could get like a taste of what it's like to go at that level. And I feel like that's the perfect way to do it. Don't make it all 35 year olds in a couple of newbies who won't learn shit because they won't get ring time. Like let them learn from the vets while they come up. Yeah. Weirdly, this has been a perfect use of Baron Corbin. That's so fucking wild, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Baron Corbin has found his place as a development trainer. Who fucking knew? Uh, story number eight. Will Ospreay signs with AEW. Um, after negotiating with basically everyone, including TNA, Osprey decided to sign with AEW. He'll debut with the company early next year after uh, finishing up with New Japan in January. Um, big deal. Really looking forward to this. 
the escalation of free agents coming out of Japan from you remember this time like two years ago when we were like Jay White might be a free agent oh my god what that's impossible what an enormous start to well Will Ospreay trumps the shit out of that to maybe it's Okada now who the fuck knows um but like this is AEW getting arguably the greatest wrestler in the world at the peak of his strength like pretty fucking good y'all and really big to land, you know, the biggest British wrestling star in decades when your flagship show is at Wembley Stadium. Yep. Other thing, too, is that, like, we had talked all about all of this stuff, like, well, uh, Osprey might want to do that because he's jumping back and forth to New Japan. That's probably good for him. And it is. Don't get me wrong. But finding out that AEW just flat out outbid WWE, that he was willing to go to WWE, was excited about it, but AEW just ordered offered more money, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I think that's the first time anyone's done that since WCW. I mean, the cons have got a big, big bank account. And obviously WWE has a ton of money, but also like, I don't know, going through a merger, still some financial concerns, their stock price is down, there's probably at least some pressure on them to keep costs down. Yeah, they're answerable to someone. Tony's not answerable to anybody but his dad. Nope, it's a privately held company, he can do whatever he wants with it. But also, we've rarely seen AW actually flex its potential financial might, right? Like, Tony has access to a shitload of money, but this company has never really been run opulently. Right. Like they probably don't make a ton of money, but like you don't see them like throwing money around. But this. They went in big on this one. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because I do think Will Ospreay is the kind of guy who will get people to buy pay-per-views. Like, oh, yeah. Especially, like you know, I think AEW kind of debunks the idea that great matches can't draw money because such a percentage of their pay-per-views are sold are the replays are people buying the show on demand after it's aired because they see the reviews of the show and they hear how good the matches were and like will osprey can do that like the dude is a walking five-star match and as weird as it is to say it's nice to have an infusion of a can't miss automatically top main eventer on top because they have a billion like B plus A minus yeah. players right now, but not a ton of A players, if that makes sense. You got like your Moxley Omega if he's healthy and he's not right now. And like who else is a can't miss A player off the top of your head? Like maybe Hangman and Jay maybe White. Swerve, so, yeah. Yeah. Like, to bring Osprey in, that brings everybody else up because there's no one in this company you don't want to watch him wrestle. Except yeah. Jericho. If they put him with Jericho, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> we'll have plenty of time to bury Chris Jericho later on. <laughs> uh, story number seven. AEW launches Saturday Night Collision. It was supposed to be the CM Punk show, and that lasted about six weeks. Steve, as a official early adopter collider, uh, one of the people who felt that Collision was really built in your vision. Yes. How are you feeling about it these days? Um, well, I love the Continental Classic, but after Punk and before that got going, I wasn't really feeling it because it had just become Dynamite 2.0. That's the thing. Without Punk, it didn't really have an identity because it was yeah. only created for him. Like it doesn't. 
well, it was they never had, intended. They sort of had this other stable of guys who you were only going to see there. It was like Miro, Hobbs, Andrade, and Punk were like the big four. And then I think FTR was mostly going to work on there. And that's just kind of dried up now. Do you remember when like Scorpio Sky was going to be part of it? That fucking didn't pan out. That didn't go anywhere, no. That was so, like, weird. I forgot I about really, that. I'm interested to see what happens post-Continental Classic. What I'm really interested to see is if they just gave Brian Danielson the keys to his own show. And it feels like that's where we're going. And if that is the case, what does it look like? Because it feels like the Continental Classic is a lot like what it looks like. Yeah, and that's pretty awesome. And, I mean, that's the big thing I'm wondering is, like, what can they do next? Is there something they can do next that's not just another round-robin tournament that will kind of capture the same spirit of the Continental Classic where we're kind of living and dying with the outcomes of these matches and the guys' reactions to their wins and losses is so compelling. What can they do to try to make everything this interesting? I'm going to piss off some people listening right now, and I'm going to make some others happy, but I'm just going to say it. Bring the rankings back. Man, I miss the rankings. You could do this exact same thing with the rankings, where the wins and losses genuinely matter. Well, you could just, I mean, so like in golf and stock car racing, like they keep track of points all year. Yeah. And then at the end, the points reset and it's only the top 10 guys competing for it. Cause they always want the end of the season to matter the most. You could easily do that with wrestling where you do a playoff for the top 10 or 12 guys at the end of the year. And see, you said something very interesting earlier this week when you said that you, the continental classic should be that playoff. Like that would make the, all the sense in the world. The wins and losses all year round are what gets you into this because over time, It may not seem like the prize for this is particularly prestigious right now, and I understand that. But just understand that, like, after five years of it being this awesome, it will matter. And you can link it to, like... You can say the winner gets a title shot. That's an obvious one. I mean, the true victory would be the winner gets a title shot at Wembley, but that's pretty far out. But, like, that's... That's 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 a little too far to hold off on it, but, like... The quote-unquote year can, I mean, all in can be the end of the year. Like right. same way WWE's calendar, WWE's year is basically WrestleMania to WrestleMania. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, overall, hard to say if it's been a success or a failure. I feel like it's done fine. They're doing 450 to 500 thousand most viewers most weeks except when they're up against a WWE pay-per-view and they get absolutely slaughtered. It's pretty obvious that like now the ratings are going to look a lot better because college football is not going on. So then they're not really directly competing with much yeah. of anything. Although so for the next great. couple of weeks, they're going to have like, I didn't watch NFL the, games. Yeah. yeah I got NFL games right now. So that's even bigger trouble for them. But once the NFL season's done, um, the ratings should go up a nice chunk. Yeah, they got like six months of easy sailing. There's something there. You can yeah. build on that. I don't get the sense like they're about to get canceled or anything like that. I think it's doing satisfactory viewership for a Saturday night. And we don't know, you know, what kind of rights fee they're getting on it. There are two things that concern me. And those two things are thus. If WWE gets their time slot because they decide to oh, go yeah. with WWE instead, 
or if Warner Brothers goes out of fucking business because the likelihood of them going bankrupt raises by the day. <laughs> fucking David Zaslav. Like the idea that AEW will be taken down through no fault of their own, it's not out of the question. Turner goes bankrupt instead of the wrestling company. Wouldn't that be so fucking funny? Can Ted Turner, can Eric Bischoff buy it? That would be so sweet for Bischoff. Not for any of us. It would be a nightmare for us. Um, yeah. Uh, story number six, AEW's kind of uneven year. It's, again, like Collision, hard to say. Did AEW have a good year or not? It's so funny, the idea that we can even say that they didn't in a year where they sold 80,000 yeah. fucking tickets to one show. Like, literally, like, it, it's... We've almost glossed over that as a community at this point. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that happened. Whatever. that was. Yeah. Like, can you guys even wrap your head around the fact that that is probably not the highest selling show in the history of wrestling, but it's almost certainly number two. And that's fucking nuts. So positives. They ran more pay-per-views and continued to do similar buy rates. Yes. To what they had been doing. So they grossed even more money on pay-per-view. They added another two hours of TV and are presumably getting paid more for it. Um, All In was a huge success. Uh, they grossed an estimated $150 million this year, which is way up from the $100 million they grossed last year. And pretty rarefied territory. The only company to ever gross that much money in a year other than WWE is WCW in 98 and maybe WCW 97 broke 150 million, but probably not. Yeah. This is rarefied territory. Like financially you would have to call this a massively successful year for them. Like they got their like resign with Warner brothers after a little bit of nervousness about that. Like it, it, it genuinely seems like this is a safe, stable company unless something absolutely dramatic happens. If it, creatively i think we'd have to say it's been a little bit of an off year yeah like in, until the last month or two i think you'd have to say that they've struggled to make stars they've struggled to like push compelling storylines out there it is what it is so yeah negatives tv view tv viewership is flat live attendance is down 20 percent um they had to deal with an almost unprecedented string of injuries and political issues. Like yeah. you said, I think we can objectively say the creative was not great for most of the year. Although, you know, every time seemingly they tried to set up a big story, it got derailed by an injury or some kind of backstage issue. And let's be clear, they have still yet ever in their history to have put on not only a bad show, a bad pay-per-view, but even like not a really even an good okay pay-per-view. one, yeah. yeah. Like they've all been good, even ones that I went into being like, yeah, I'm not excited all at all for this. Turned out to be really good. This last pay-per-view, which I think everyone and their mom was flat on, made sway made a swerve of fucking superstar. So like you can't really say yeah that they've had misses, but I think that it's okay to say that they've had like a creative dip. It seems like. Tony's been super overburdened this year. Like he really, the need for a second booker has made itself apparent. Uh, And luckily 
seemingly they've turned to Danielson right at that time. Yeah. So they're probably not profitable, although I'm guessing they, they had to be close to it unless their payroll is just insane. And it might be because they have a ton of guys under contract. Um, we also don't know what they're paying any of these guys. No, really. Like it's never. Their TV deal is a little uncertain right now with WWE being rumored to be negotiating with WBD. I kind of think that's just Saslov trying to bring down AEW's asking price. I just don't, I don't really buy that Turner's actually going to sign WWE. More likely than not, too. Zaslov's going to be out on his ass in a month. Yeah. So, like, I'm not really worried about that. A good point. Um, I mean, to be cut, the path to profitability is basically like get a nice increase in their rights fee on the new TV deal and then probably start running streaming shows every month and like license their archives to a streaming service, which I'm kind of shocked hasn't happened yet. Still seems outrageous that like we literally. We would love to cover an AEW show for you guys, oh but we can't. God. They don't exist we'd anywhere. Love to. Yeah. As soon as those archives go up, we're doing an AEW season. Of course. I've never, I've never seen any of these matches again. Like no. all these classic matches they've had on these pay-per-views, I've never watched any of them back. It's impossible. I don't even know where to go to find any of that shit. No. You can, I think you could buy I don't know if they're still putting out DVDs. But they were for a while, but I don't want to buy DVDs of wrestling shows anymore. DVDs, come on, man. FAO Schwartz. Yeah, I literally have like 30 wrestling DVDs, and they're all Shimmer ones from when I used to go to every Shimmer show. That's that's all the wrestling DVDs I got. And Uh, IGF uh, Rodman Down Under that I've been trying to get you to cover for years. Rodman Down Under. Number five, WWE's continued business boom. Um, Under the glorious leadership of our Lord and Savior, Triple H, WWE just keeps rolling. As I joked once, WWE does 90% of the business in the United States and occupies like 10% of the discourse. It's true. I do want to say this. If WWE was on its ass creatively this year, don't you feel like we really wouldn't be talking about AEW the same way? We'd still be like, yeah. oh, it's been better in the past. But they're no longer like the ones producing like the really deep, interesting stories because WWE has really stolen that. This has been maybe the best creative year of WWE since 1998. Yeah. I don't, I can't think of one close. This is also, it's clearly the hottest their business has been since the Attitude Era. SummerSlam was such an eye-opening moment. Like, we went to SummerSlam in Detroit, and, like, not only did they sell that motherfucker out, but, like, it was, they like, standing over alone. downtown Detroit. Yes. And For like, a show that was not a gigantic card. Like, the main event was Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. Who had was literally the first main event match in his entire career. Like, come on yeah. now. Um, look, they they've hit a boom. There's just no other way to say it. And like for Triple H to have engineered this through all of the the strife and uncertainty and bullshit of the yeah. past several years that they've gone through. Look, man, you don't have to like Triple H to acknowledge this has been a masterful job. He's navigated like Vince, a very difficult situation with Vince. 
He's navigated this corporate merger and they don't seem to have missed a step because the Endeavor guys don't interfere, it seems like. They just let Triple H cook, same way they didn't, you know, fuck with Dana White's formula when they bought UFC. It is now utterly clear that Vince was standing in the way of success. Oh my god, yeah. That's we always good. assumed it was true, so but much. he he left and within six months we hit a new wrestling boom. Like it was immediate. Yeah, after Vince couldn't get the company hot for twenty years. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, think, think about how long we suffered without one of these. And apparently they're just fucking easy. <laughs> I mean, how many people have become stars with Triple H booking in such a short period of time? Cody, Jey Uso, Jimmy Uso, The Judgment Day, Solo, LA Knight. Like, people are getting over in this company. Like, it feels like nobody in this company isn't over. Yeah. You see the ovations that, like, Alpha Academy and people are getting. Like, this is the kind, this is how you know it's a wrestling boom. It's not a wrestling boom if the three guys on the top of the card are over. That's just how wrestling is. It's a wrestling boom when the mid-carters are getting big reactions because yeah. they love everyone on the whole show. That's a boom. And we didn't even mention that they've added CM Punk to this roster. Hey, by the way, they got CM Punk. Yeah, and he immediately popped their TV ratings and is probably going to get them an extra millions and millions of dollars a year extra in their rights fee because of the time in. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, they're, it feel, I think a story to watch for next year is WWE going for the kill against AEW. Like that is do they do they move Raw to Wednesday night just to fuck AEW? Because they could. Here's the yep. thing. Monday's a, ter- Monday's a terrible night for your flagship show. That's always been funny, is that like you do the pay-per-views on Sunday and Mon- and Raw on Monday, and truthfully, those are both the wrong nights for those. Yes. And like Triple H seems to be the one who knows it. Yeah, going up against Monday, you get your ratings demolished every fall against Monday Night Football. Or you could go up against nothing but Dynamite and some shitty B-grade NBA games. Yeah. It's pretty nice. (laughs) Seems obvious. Story number four, the continuing domination of Roman Reigns. I look back, this was story number four last year, too. That's so fascinating. Roman Reigns, still unbeaten, unbowed, unbroken. Somehow, Roman Reigns has completed another year as WWE champion. Fun fact, Steve. You've now hit Stump Steve. No! It's a Roman Reigns Stump Steve, sort of. Okay. So, Roman Reigns has now been the WWE champion for something like 612 days. Yeah. He has been overall... Like, since WWE functionally considers the universal title and WWE reign to be one reign now. Yeah, they have they fudge it and just treat it like he was the WWE champion this whole time. Even though, yeah, he only won the WWE title not quite two years ago, but he won the universal title all the way back in 2020 in the Thunderdome. Yeah, which gives him the fourth longest reign of all time, obviously, yeah. as he has passed Pedro Morales and uh, Bruno's shorter Bruno reign. Too, yeah. Um, he is now within reach of Hulk Hogan's longest reign. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll cover that another time. 
What I'm actually asking you now is that obviously you know the top five longest reigns for the WWE Championship, right? There's pay, there's a, a Roman at fifth with 600 whatever, yeah. then Pedro, then Bruno, then Hulkster, then Backlund, then Bruno. Bruno won, yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Actually, that's the top six, okay? I want you to give me the next four to round out the top Ooh, ten. Okay. And these are the only ten men who have ever held it for longer than a year. Okay. Uh, the ones I can think of, Diesel, 95. Did not hold it a full year. Not a full year, really. Yep. It was almost exactly a year. Almost exactly a year, but not quite. Yeah. I will also tell you, tell you that another person has 364 days, and he would be number 11. Oh, my God. Okay, Punk held Punk? it for four, 14 Four, or something. 434 days. That's correct. He's okay. next down the list, number seven. Uh, John Cena in 2007. That's correct. 381 days. Um, we now have a tie. The next two are the only two ever to do it, and they held it the exact same number of days. Hogan from WrestleMania five to WrestleMania six. That was like exact. That's I assume a day short of a year. That was 364 days. He's number 11. Yeah. And Savage from WrestleMania four to WrestleMania five was, I assume another 364 days. Actually, no, because WrestleMania was later the next year. He is one of the two in the tie with 371 days. Okay. And so somebody else one more person held who's held it for, it for a full just year. over a year. You now know he held it exactly 371 days because he's tied yeah. with Savage. Um, it is in the modern era. I can tell you. Yeah. That. I'm thinking through and we're only talking about the WWE title. Not correct. Not Universal world, title, not universal not world heavyweight. None of that bullshit. Just the one that matters. Oh, um, AJ Styles held it. He for, is AJ yeah. Styles, the Man, face that runs the place. I kept thinking it was Brock, but I'm like, no, he never held the WWE title that long. He held the Universal title for a really long time. Yes, he did. That yeah, is correct. AJ won it like right before Survivor Series 2018 and then held it until right before Survivor Series the next year when Daniel Bryan took it from him, right? Yep, that is correct, so that he could face Brock Lesnar. That is correct. Uh, he and Macho Man are tied, and that is the current top ten. Impressive. Not bad. <sighs> but, yeah, I mean, I never would have thought, I mean, like, I was, at first I was sure Brock was going to lose the title to Cody at WrestleMania last year. And then it's, well, this year, yeah, WrestleMania in LA in 2022. Right. 2023. I can't even, it's been going so long, I can't even keep my years straight. As we got close to that match, I started being like, man, I think Cody might actually lose. It might make more sense if he has to keep chasing. And that's what happened. But I was thinking Brock or Cody would win it either in Saudi Arabia or at SummerSlam. And then that didn't happen. They're just stretching it out another year, which is crazy. And it's working. 
I don't mean this to be an I told you so moment, but I am so rarely right on this podcast yeah. that I feel the need to point this out, that this is exactly what I said was going to happen from the very beginning. And I said at the time, and the fans will realize they don't give a shit, be way into these two when they fight again, and it'll be even more over than this time. And when they went face to face on that random SmackDown, I was proven in unquestionably correct. People are hungry for this rematch. Yeah. Well, it's going to be even hotter this time. Oh, I mean, God, what, yeah. what a moment. I Again, assuming Cody finishes the story this time, like what a moment it's going to be when Cody pulls it off this time at WrestleMania. Yeah. If he doesn't win this time, I'm not going to defend that. You you can yeah. get away with one. That's fine. But he needs to win it here. That's yeah, just this, what it this is. This is his Okada Tanahashi moment. Well, if you recall, this match for in the Okada Tanahashi thing was when Okada lost and cried. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, this was number two, where everyone in the world was certain Okada was going to win. Wasn't even a question. Everyone wasn't even considering another option. And then he lost. And the IWGP is far above you, little boy. Now, he's... At WrestleMania, he'll be about six months from beating the Hogan title reign. Here's the other thing. And this is what makes me nervous, but it's also what's going to make that match hotter. If that wasn't the case, would anyone genuinely believe that Roman was going to retain? No. We don't even know when his contract, his contract may be running out soon. There's rumors. There's rumors he's done after WrestleMania, which... Wouldn't be crazy if he stepped away for a while. He doesn't have the only oh, thing yeah. he has left to do is fight CM Punk. Go make some fucking get, movies, bro. <laughs> they get to it next WrestleMania. But it's just so funny to me. Go back. Imagine going back in a fucking time machine to ten years ago. Yeah. And telling yourself Roman Reigns is gonna hold the belt for years, plural. And yeah. you're going to fucking love it. Yeah, and it's going to be the best thing in wrestling. It's going to spark a resurgence, a boom period, all because he won't lose. Yeah, the last thing we ever would have expected. God, like, is this the greatest title reign in wrestling history? Let's just cut to the chase. <sighs> Can you think of anything that matches it? I mean that first Hogan one is so iconic. That built pro that built pro wrestling. But like it feels like this is the only thing you could reasonably compare it to. I think so. It built a new era. Like coming out of the Thunderdome when they had nothing but this to cling to, to now where we're in a fucking boom. It's all him. Yeah. Like they had nothing. Nothing. It's just incredible. Yeah. I just, I never would have thought somebody could hold the world title this long in this era. The idea of a multi-year title run just seemed ludicrous. And let's be clear about this. I do not want to hear people out there just saying like, oh, it was a well-booked run or whatever, whatever. This has been special because of him. Yeah. Like what he has found in himself in this heel run, like, him being able to carry weeks of character development with just facial expressions. Without even being on TV. Yeah. Like, the moments where his music hits and the whole crowd is like, oh, the real shit is here. Oh, yeah. oh, it started. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Like, he comes... Remember how much we complain bitterly about Brock doing this? Except now when Roman does it, it feels right. It feels like it's beneath his notice to come to TV every week. Oh, yeah. The idea of him just showing up on every SmackDown is insane. He's only going to show up when it's something that matters. When someone's ready for him. It's just something so special. The likes of which we may never see again. Enjoy it while we have the chance, guys. It's funny because it's actually the kind of thing people would talk about on wrestling forums back in the day. Like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody had the title for years and years? Wouldn't it be cool if we didn't see the world champion every single week? And the they other were fun- right. The other funny thing about this is uh, we have buried Bruce Pritchard monumentally deservedly. on this podcast but deservedly absolutely but there, he very specifically said on an early episode of something to wrestle with like some conrad asked him like if you got the book back what would you do and he's like i'd probably put the belt on somebody and have him hold it for three years did he say he roman reigns i think he did say roman like how would you yeah. fix him maybe like oh, i'd probably put the belt on him have him hold it for and three years we all scoffed at that and i think at least in the beginning that's when Bruce was in charge of creative. So this might be a Bruce Pritchard. But here's the key is it's as a heel. If yes. they tried to do this as a baby face, it would have been awful. And he's still, the territory. Like, let's not like do revisionist history. He was an awful baby face. One of the worst ever suffering yeah. succotash. <laughs> he's a tremendous heel. Yes. All right. Story number three. AEW All In 2023 does massive business. The impossible dream that they could pack Wembley Stadium and sell the most tickets of any show in wrestling history came true. I just remember when we first heard it, all of us scoffing, and rightly so. What a ridiculous thing to even try, to even want to do. Like... You've never drawn 20,000. What the no. fuck do you mean you're going to try to draw 80? Remember when we like we predicted it would be Clash at the Castle? Yes. And then we were both kind of like, wait, that's insane. No, that can't happen. And it's it basically beat it like the first week tickets were on sale. Yeah, this was like the third or fourth best-selling show in wrestling history, like months before it ever happened. Like months yeah. in advance. So... They sold over 80,000 tickets, uh, beating seemingly, we don't have perfect record keeping, but seems like they beat both WrestleMania um, three and the WrestleMania in Dallas in 2016 uh, for the most tickets and Wembley, uh, a SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium. Seems like they beat those shows. Uh, the actual like who showed up is a little weird because it seems like there were several thousand tickets that were sold that weren't used. Which were probably scalper tickets. Yeah, I mean, scalpers that didn't end up moving them. And it's one of those things where, like, how do you really consider the show? Do you consider it on the people who, like, the actual fans who showed up? But in that case, like, maybe they would have sold those tickets if scalpers hadn't bought them because they made them unavailable. So, yeah. like, I don't know whether to hold that against them or not, really. Yeah, I mean, they did an insane $12 million gate. They sold over 200,000 pay-per-view buys, which is their second biggest pay-per-view ever. The only one bigger is the first CM Punk all um, all out in Chicago in 2021. And yeah, a colossal success. $15 million gross, 
you know, I think that's the biggest number and most money any non-WrestleMania has ever made. And like a huge creative success. It was a yeah. great show. Um, every, it made them I, feel like a big time promotion. Yeah, I don't think anyone in the world can say that they didn't enjoy it. Ugh, um, I love I love that. Show. All the special entrances. That just felt so cool. Without it being that big of a when you look back on that card, it wasn't like it was it wasn't like they just threw all their best matches on that show. That show was main evented by like a dynamite main event. Like MJF yeah. and Adam Cole, but not actually the real match. Main yeah. event 80,000 people. <laughs> With no heat on it whatsoever. It was a face versus face match. Yep. And neither guy turned. No. They hugged at the end. <laughs> I mean, what can you say, man? And coming back, they've already sold almost 40,000 tickets for next year. And the show is like eight months away. Yeah, we were genuinely very concerned about next year's because it's always easier to sell it the first time because it's like a special thing. England hasn't had a show that size since literally 1992. So, of course, they'd be interested just for the spectacle. But will they come back for that brand again? And at least half of them have already said, yeah, fuck yeah. I don't care what the fuck show it is. I'm going. 40,000 is about what I was expecting them to sell in total for next year. So I... They're probably going to get to around 80,000 again. Like, reasonable to think they've only sold half the tickets so far. It will be interesting to see what they can come up with to actually sell that show. Osprey winning the title. But that's the thing, is that now that you got Osprey, you might have the key to that shit, baby. Find the right opponent. For, it may not even matter that much. who the, It's not like I they have a shortage of people for him to wrestle for the title in this company. There's a bunch of people he can go up against. I don't think it's one match that's going to matter. I think it's just generally getting that momentum back that they lost over the last half of this year. But in terms of the one thing to go in with, the fact that you've got the biggest British wrestling star in decades now is a pretty good start. Pretty good start. Oh, story number two, the insane saga of CM Punk. Like... It's hard to even think about all the stuff this man did this year. Like, we listed, like, five or six CM Punk items in that lightning round. We could have done an entire just CM Punk lightning round. Like, like there, there's so much. From CM Punk choosing a random newsletter reporter and just making that his official voice on the internet to yep. CM Punk going to WWE. To, yeah. like, WWE actually, in the same week. To WWE lying to us directly for yep. maybe the first time, like straight out, no, he's not coming. Yes, he actually is. The I way don't... Punk kept doing the all the teases he did during his MMA commentary gigs. That was so funny. He was teasing. He was going literally everywhere. That was good shit. All the cryptic, all the cryptic Instagram stories. Let me ask you this: finding out. That CM Punk had tried to get into WWE before he went to AEW, and then after Brawl Out, and then again, he was the one who tried to get in instead of the other way around. That's so interesting. It puts things in such a different light. Finding out... Let me ask you this. If they don't have Survivor Series in Chicago, because they didn't plan that for him, that's just some shit they plan a year in advance when they're like 
plotting out where they're going to book these arenas. They probably did it. They probably did it just to hurt AEW. Right. But let's say that Survivor Series is scheduled for Miami. Do they bring Punk in? I don't know. Maybe the TV, the timing with the TV rights, I think maybe the most deciding thing. Sure, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, just think about the year he had. At the beginning of the year, he was sitting on the injured list, and it was unclear if he would ever come back to AEW. They brought him back, gave him his own show that he was going to be the star of, created just an absurd separation where him and the elite and hangman page and whoever else he wasn't friendly with wouldn't have to be in the same arena as him. Um, he got in a backstage fight with Jack Perry at all in and had to be fired. And then he went back to WWE in the span of one year. He did all that. Looking back on it all now, would you have brought him back after Brawl Out? Oh, knowing what was going to happen? No. Yeah. Wasn't worth it. I mean, it I, out. I might still have because they still made a bunch of money along the way. So if like, if I that can't was really... the key to get Collision, then maybe. But it's just the whole thing was so messy. And yeah. I think it really, I do think it's put a damper on their company. Like, it's kind of divided their fan base. It. Just what a bummer the whole thing was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like the awful situation it created where they had that pay-per-view in Chicago and they had to announce like the day before the pay-per-view that he was fired. Yeah, and everyone putting like, oh man, that pay-per-view wasn't very successful. Yeah, motherfuckers, because half the people who wanted to go were buying it for him. Yeah. Just insane like i'm just trying to wrap my head around this guy and now so far it seems like he's a model citizen in wwe which does make me wonder how much of all the acting out was just some combination of that he resented being in aew and he resented that the guys in the locker room didn't treat him with more reverence like a lot of ego stuff going on here, it feels like. Yeah, it's not really fair of us to play like armchair psychiatrist with him, but I think it's not unfair to say that he thought that they they should have they he thought that they should have treated him like a bigger star than they did. Because he's like in his head, I think he thinks he's a WWE guy first and foremost. We might think of him as this indie rebel and whatever, but honestly, I think at the end of the day, and he said it, all he ever wanted was to be John Cena. Main event people WrestleMania. Just, people just wouldn't let him be John Cena, and that's what pissed him off. But all he ever wanted was to be that guy. Has any wrestler ever had this crazy year? Like, maybe Bret Hart, 97? Even him, he really only had the one thing, mostly. I mean, he had a backstage fight with Shawn Michaels, too, and... Him and Sean, both him and Sean 97 had wild years when you think about it. You know what? That is the most comparable year, and I bet you that that would psych him up to hear that comparison. He's the new Bret Hart, yeah. The one way in which he actually is like Bret Hart is that for one year, he got in a bunch of fist fights backstage with other dudes. (laughs) Yeah. And then got bounced to another company. (laughs) Oh. I mean, 
you know, is WWE return going fine so far? Getting big reactions, moving ratings, you know, set up for what I think is going to be a really hot few with Seth Rollins, where he'll finally get to main event WrestleMania. All smooth so far. We'll see if he can keep it up. That segment where he made reference to like what happened in AEW, and it was clear that WWE's fans didn't even know that, that, was, that shit had ever happened. That was hilarious. Yeah, he does this big wind-up to this line about punching people in the face backstage, and the crowd didn't respond at all. They had no idea what he was talking about. I think it's so obvious that they just were like, what? What? Like, you've just been sitting at home for all these years, right? Like, we don't fucking know. I, I think most of their audience is aware that he wrestled somewhere else, but I think they just don't really know the ins and outs of what he was at, like why he got fired and all that. That was a humbling moment for me, is realizing that yeah. all this shit doesn't really matter to the still, vast majority of people. Yeah, we're still living in the bubble. Yeah, we could all just settle the fuck down, you know, and just enjoy the shit. Any other thoughts on CM Punk's wild 2022? No, I just really hope it's a calmer 2024, yeah. you know? like I just 23, not 20. 22 was a crazy year for him, yes. too. It is crazy 2023. I would just love it if he was able to, like, be successful in WWE. Everyone can just move on and be happy and just live their fucking lives, you know? Yeah. And finally, the biggest story of the year, one of the biggest stories ever in the history of pro wrestling, WWE being sold to Endeavor. Um, The effects of this will reverberate around the industry for decades to come after over 60 years of control by the McMahon family. WWE was sold to Endeavor, UFC's parent company. Um, Of course, we had a crazy beginning of the year where Vince McMahon elected himself back to the board of directors and regained control of the company after being forced into retirement in 2022. And later on, we found out Vince was being investigated for a bunch of financial crimes. And then he had back surgery and has just sort of laid low ever since. For the rest of my life, I will never forget the ups and downs of the beginning of this year. Yeah. Of like us breathlessly messaging each other and being like, oh, they're going to sell it to the Saudis. Oh, oh my God. Triple H is in charge and everything's so great. But wait, Vince just somehow forced his way back onto the board and now everything's going to suck again. It's a wait. Now somebody's reported all this financial information. And I say somebody in air quotes because we all know who reported that shit. Hey, (laughs) stop. The other thing I forgot to mention is Stephanie McMahon left the company. Yeah, because, well, I mean, we it would be rash of us to speculate as to why, but she and Triple H are definitely getting a divorce, probably over him taking Vince's side and all of this bullshit. It's kind of amazing that in the end, Triple H really just wants to be the booker and he can live with all the other stuff, whereas either Stephanie can't tolerate Vince or he won't tolerate having her around anymore because she was disloyal to him. It's impossible to imagine. This past Thanksgiving, Vince's favorite holiday, his family yeah. holiday, did he have anybody at that table? I wonder. Do you think I, maybe Stephanie, maybe like Triple H brought the grandkids over for a is any, visit for like an hour? Was it just him and undertaker together alone 
does he still live in the mansion in Greenwich or does he like have a penthouse in New York or is he retired down to Florida? Like what is this man's life even? I couldn't even imagine. Like when you see that, that footage of him, like in public appearances now and like literally oh, Undertaker's the, the only person in the world who likes him. Like, and like with the shoe polished black hair and the mustache. The just, mustache. It just yeah. seems so weird. It's so weird what's become of them. He forced his way back onto the board and then showed up with a pervert mustache. That happened the same day. And then that's not even the biggest story about him this year. It like there's no way to contextualize it. We've talked about the potential of this for two decades now. Yeah. Not only is the company sold, not only is Vince ousted. Not only did it get sold, but the second it got sold, they immediately threw Vince in the dumpster oh, because they totally realized what a liability put, he was. Totally put him out to pasture. He's completely frozen out of his own company. Which I don't think he expected. No. I, I don't. I, I think didn't. he just got outsmarted. I, I thought he had outfoxed everybody here and he had an ironclad agreement and, you know, Ari Emanuel, Ari Emanuel portrayed it like they desperately wanted him to be part of it. And it turned out that was a lie they told to flatter him and play to his ego. He didn't get it in writing. He finally got worked after all these years and now he's done. Vince McMahon will never have a hand in WWE ever again. That's crazy. Yeah. We thought, I mean, it got to the point where I was just like, oh, he's just going to run this thing until he dies. It's going to be like Sumner Redstone. Absolutely. But nope, he's done. He's out. And now we live in this new era. And it's a beautiful, fragile, uncertain thing. Because fuck knows what it is that's going to happen. Five years from now, like WWE could just be closed down by people who don't even run it, who don't even know it. Like it's not in their control anymore. Yeah, I mean, as it stands, it's a bit big money maker. TKO's stock has taken a dip, but I think that's going to turn around because I think the stock is undervalued right now. Sure, I'm going to tell you. Uh, if you are a listen, regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that I own one share of WWE You got stock. a dividend. You got $3, right? I got $6, Steve, because I bought Six. a second share. Wow. <laughs> so you have two <laughs> shares of TKO now? Or you know two it, shares baby. Of WWE? Actually, so when I had the share of WWE and TKO bought it, it flipped to uh, it like – Basically, like I was given the opportunity to buy a share of TKO for the same price as my. <laughs> you have price. options. Yeah, so I optioned my one share into TKO stock, and it's worth less now because it's down to like WV stock was at like a hundred dollars, and TKOs is at like seventy five. Yeah, but I'm not in this for the money, Steve. I'm just in this to be able to say that I'm a part owner of WWE. <laughs> um, I mean. Nothing on screen, nothing's really changed. I mean, there's really been no crossover or synergy with UFC. Presentation hasn't really changed. There's some stuff's good. There's going to be some business changes. Like, they're going to end up putting like ads on the mat and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. There's stuff that Vince wouldn't do because he didn't like it, even though it would have made the company money. Same thing with like. They're willing to do small sets for shows if it means selling more tickets, whereas Vince liked the big sets because it made the show feel big time. There's amazing. There's certain things where Vince was just not as greedy as these guys are. Vince 
still cared some about the art. I will say this too, is that I wonder, I think if you asked UFC fans, they would say that the product has unquestionably gone downhill since this group took it over. Yeah. For for various reasons. But I, yeah, um, I don't really think it's because I mean, Dana White is still running the right. company. They've watered it down because they're just running even more shows because it's even more money. Right. And so I guess maybe that's the question is that, like, it's very possible that the show could get worse. Yeah. Uh, but, like, we won't really know the reverberations of this for several years. So it kind of super remains to be seen. But, God, n- this will be forever the biggest thing that had ever happened in the history of this company. I don't think we'll ever top it. Yeah, the biggest thing in pro wrestling. I mean, like, overall, this was probably the most eventful year in pro wrestling since 2001 when WCW and ECW both went under. Seems impossible to think of a bigger one. No. All right. So let's do some awards. Yeah. Wrestler of the Year. Um, I'm going to say MJF. This is a tough one because you could take it two ways. You could take like uh, like the drawing power, the matches, whatever it is that you want to call it. In terms of matches, I would have trouble not saying Osprey. Yeah. Um, I definitely get what you're saying with MJF. There's also been something special about Danielson this year, but he's just missed too much. He's of missed the year. so much time. Yeah. Uh, Moxley has performed wildly beyond what anyone could ever expect of anyone. Um, but I think I'm going Osprey. That's fair. Yeah, probably had to, definitely had the best matches of anyone this year. For sure. Raised his profile the most. Like Worst wrestler of the year. I'm going to say Chris Jericho. Break the walls down yeah. and send him into retirement, please. I'm begging you. Who, like, who else, who's like an honorable mention for this award even? As worst wrestlers tough because I feel like there's not a lot of people no. on TV right now that you would say are doing a bad job. There's not a lot of people out there who suck anymore. It's just it's a different business now. I the actually like half, I like almost, which a lot of people don't. The first half of the year, Wardlow got real, yeah. real boring. That's so fair. like but then they took him off TV for six months. So like I, yeah. I don't know that I could even call him the worst. Um, feud of the year. Ooh. Uh, not a feud, but the bloodline storyline would be the best of the year. Yeah, I'm of two minds because, like, the bloodline storyline, if you can, I'm pretty sure the majority of the shit happened the previous year, but, like, the Sammy Roman blow up with, like, that was nope. probably the moment of the year was Sammy turning on Roman. Yeah. But then again, most of that stuff happened the yeah. previous year. Like the Survivor Series War Games match was like such a big moment. And like it, the Sammy Roman part was done in February. So like it feels weird to give that feud of the year. You know what I mean? You could say the same for Roman J. That was huge. But it was also part a continuation of a much bigger story. Yeah. In terms of one that existed just in this year, I might go Kenny Osprey. Yeah. Is that weird? Like two absolutely legendary two matches. matches. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the two best matches of the year. 
But what about like a more conventional feud, like that actually plays out normally? Cody Brock. Like, Cody Brock's good. Yeah. Um. Fuck. I mean, the biggest feud on WWE Raw this year was just like the Judgment Day versus Cody and his buddies, which versus everybody went on. I mean, the Judgment Day interruption meme has become legendary. That's probably the thing. That's probably the thing I'm going to remember most of this year is just like, you know, every Raw baby face two minutes into their promo and that video of Triple H turning around. As the I just love that music plays and then they did it for real. I just love that somehow Triple H from like 2010 has become a meme for something totally unrelated to him. And then they actually had the Judgment Day interrupt Triple H one time, which was which is maybe it was a reference to that, but that was incredibly funny to people who knew. Gosh, uh, there got to be a lot of feuds that are like flying under the radar for me here because there have been a ton of good ones throughout the course of the year. Um, I really loved Hangman Moxley. That was an unexpected one. Yeah, Swerve and Hangman was really Swerve good. Swerve and Hangman. I don't even know if I would call the feud amazing until the match, which was yeah. fucking ridiculous. Worst feud of the year. Um, now, a there lot are of Chris Jericho that, things. Yeah. There are two that jump so quickly to mind that I can't even think of anything past them. And those two are uh, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho versus the Don Callis yeah. family. And Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks. And I think I'm going Starks. <laughs> totally derailed Ricky Starks. Do you remember this Not time last he year? like the new rock. Winter is coming. In the lead up to that match with MJF, he cuts that promo, yeah. eviscerating MJF, blowing him out of the water. And we were like, oh, man, we've got a new star. And then he goes immediately into a four-month feud with Chris Jericho. And now... No one knows who the fuck Ricky Starks is. Uh, promotion of the year. I think it's got, I don't think you can argue for anything other than WWE. No. I mean, I've enjoyed all the promotions, but it seems yeah. like everybody's rebuilding while they're in their, like their prime of their life, man. Um, show of the year. This is a tough call. I'm going to say all in, but um, night one of WrestleMania was unbelievable this year. I don't think I've ever known a year that had this many contenders. Even there's like barely, there's barely a bad wrestling pay-per-view this year. It feels like Wrestle Kingdom was amazing. Yeah. The Puerto Rico show was unbelievable. Oh, was so um, co- the Clash at the Castle, fucking incredible. No one even that remembers la- that, that shit. That was last year. Oh, that was last year. Okay, <laughs> that was in 2022. All right, fair enough. That makes sense <laughs> why nobody's why, talking about why it. Why we don't remember it? But still, like, there yeah. hasn't been anything that we every SummerSlam. Eight, SummerSlam was a little divisive. I loved SummerSlam we were from there. start to finish. We're like, biased. that's I, that's true. But it's one of the hottest shows I've ever been to. Like, that's I don't know, yeah. man. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's probably all in just for the spectacle of it. I, I think I'd have to say that. Yeah, worst show of the year. I have trouble. I mean. I'm sure there was some bad episodes of Dynamite and Collision. I'm not thinking of, but I have trouble saying anything was the worst show this year because what major shows were there that weren't good? I'm genuinely thinking about this, and I'm gonna have to cop out and say the Saudi show, sure. but I didn't. I didn't see it, <laughs> so it's, I just, just always disagree with the cons. So. Yeah, fuck the Saudi shows. That's pretty much all I got. Um, 
match of the year. I'm going to say Kenny Os- Kenny Osprey from Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. No, like it literally it happened four days into the year. Nothing topped it yeah. for me. Uh, the only other year that got a similar reaction from me was Hangman Swerve. That was unreal. Which I think made me more emotional than any match I've ever seen in my entire life, except for maybe the first time I saw Hell in a Cell with Mick. But like, like, Dave, like Dave Meltzer said, I hated it. Five stars. But it's not. The people who say that they hated it, it's not this nasty, foul brawl, except for that one moment. The blood drinking spot was gross. I would not have done that. But it's also maybe the first time I've ever watched a wrestling match yeah. and jumped up off the couch and screamed out loud. Like, I've never reacted like that viscerally to anything. Worst match of the year. I'm going to say Chris Jericho versus um, uh, versus Adam Cole. I had like a list in my head of Chris Jericho matches, but it, just, it fucking so doesn't matter, nice. guys. It's a Chris Jericho match. Doesn't matter how you want to spell it. Um, surprise of the year. I'm going to say the MJF Adam Cole storyline being so good. It's stunning that that worked out. You know what? I'm going to give Chris Jericho a little tiny bit of credit here. Surprise of the year for me is when he went to DDT and wrestled a random fucking match with Takeshita in Japan in front of that audience and tore the house down for 20 minutes. Yeah, that was random. Proving that he could do it, he just doesn't. (laughs) Breakout star of the year. I'll say Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley's a fucking good one. I'm going to say Jey Uso because I... I, I could not have called that Native, in a million years. Made event Jey Uso became a real thing. See, just being there at SummerSlam and seeing the reaction of literally 50,000 people doing his dance with him was unbelievable. And I got to tell you, I wasn't a believer. I hadn't really been watching the TV up until then. I didn't. I was like, are they really fucking putting Jey Uso in the main event of SummerSlam? This is so stupid. Dudes, yeah. he's there. I w- and we were just at a Raw. We saw the Yeet shirts, guys. It's for he, real. He hasn't cooled off. And obviously, you know, honorable mention breakout star, L.A. Knight. I mean, unbelievable. Dude, like, he has cooled off. But that's okay. Like, yeah. it's not the end of the world. No. And, I mean, I don't know. Worst moment of the year, I guess, but Bray Wyatt's death. No, that almost doesn't count. It's kind of crazy, just, but I just, I just real, kind of just realized like we made it through all this. I think we kind of just forgot about Bray's death when we were listening. That's got to be one of the top ten stories of the year. Just shocking and tragic, inexplicable. Sure. What do you think was the uh, the best entrance of the year? Um, God, there were so many I loved at that Wembley show. Um, yeah. This is the thing I care most about in wrestling. The soft spot for me is Sting coming out to seek and destroy. Fuck yeah. That's yeah. a good one. That was uh, good. just like that was so I've watched that's probably the clip I've watched back the most from this year. You know what? Let me do a rewind on surprise of the year. Surprise of the year and entrance of the year. Bad Bunny at the Puerto Rico show. Oh my god, that I've, that might be the clip I've watched more than Sting coming out to Metallica because that was just unreal. Have that entrance and the crowd, and then that song. match. Yeah, like <laughs> having Savio Vega and Carlito show up. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a crowd that hot for anything. Like I, it's up there. <laughs> I think the best trend of the year is WWE doing more international shows because these just have such special environments. 
I agreed. I'll also say uh, companies working more together. Like yeah. it seems like we are so much closer to like all companies on earth, mostly working together. Obviously, W2B is off on its own, but they've never been more likely to work with other companies than they are now. All right. Close this out real quick. Things to watch for 2024. Um, Roman Reigns losing the WWE title and possibly stepping away from WWE. going to be very interesting to see what his future holds. Absolutely. Uh, Will Ospreay potentially winning the WWE, the AEW title yep. at All In in front of 80,000 of his hometown fans. Fuck uh, yes. TV deals. Yeah. What's AEW new TV, new TV deal look like? Where does Raw land? Does AEW get a streaming platform? You know, some big business developments ahead. The countdown to Brian Danielson's final match, yep. because it will happen in the year 2024. Uh, whether or not Okada leaves New Japan, I don't think he will. I just, I just, I just can't see them letting him walk away. I just can't hurt like this, Steve. Like, just yeah. put me out of my misery. I can't do it. Uh, the possibility of Vince selling his stock and actually leaving WWE. And forming a new wrestling company called Titan Wrestling. That would be amazing, actually. I, what would that even look like? Who could he get to leave and join his new company? Brock. I think Brock would in a second, sure. For the money. The first yeah. match would just be Brock versus Taker. <laughs> um. All right. Anything else? Anything else to look out for in 2024? Just a lot of good shit, man. Cody is the WWE champion. How cool is that going to be? It's just funny. It seems like we're probably going to have a new AEW champion sooner than later with MJF Hurt. Not really sure how, what the, I don't, I'm most interested in what the year holds for AEW. I'm most excited for what the year holds for WWE. And I'm most Let's say I'm going to watch more New Japan than anything because I'm so fascinated in what this rebuild is going to turn into. So, as usual, the, I have no free time. It's all just this. Yeah. Plus, you know, we're going to have all kinds of fun things to do here on the podcast. We're coming into Royal Rumble season, then WrestleMania season, and who knows what we'll do after that. Somehow, no. after all these years, there's feels like there's more shows to cover than ever. Now, hold on, Stevie, baby, because you can't forget that it's Wrestle Kingdom season next, baby. Yeah! Uh, Kingdom season. We are going to be covering um, the biggest one of them all with Jericho versus Kenny Omega, the one that sold out the dome. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait to do this one. Like, very fond memories of this show. One of the most shocking moments of my time as a wrestling fan was waking up to the news that Chris Jericho had signed with New Japan. So still in my life as a a New Japan fan who tried desperately to get other people interested in it, just like the delirious few months of everyone on earth suddenly wanting to know all of this information that I had, it's this company that I had desperately tried to sell them my entire life. (sighs) So, yeah, uh, we'll have all that and more in the year 2024 on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.